We're going to continue our study of the Psalms. Today, I want us to look at Psalm 103. I chose this Psalm because I did a search of Psalms that spoke of our Father, and Psalm 103 has one of the great statements in it. It is one of the best-known Psalms. It was the basic of a of a tune we sang in the 60s and 70s, oftentimes in church. It is, it is a psalm that you will recognize and one that means a lot to many, many believers. So if you will, turn with me to Psalm 103. I noticed that I did my notes in a hurry if you're using them. I left off the verses. I left off the title. I was, I was just not with it completely. So if you're using the notes, I'll try to remind you. I've called it the Father's Love, the Psalm of the Father's Love. And, and the first section is verses 1 through 5, where the psalmist David calls upon us to praise the God who forgives. Praise the God who forgives. Read with me, verses 1 through 5. Praise the Lord my soul, and all my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Notice, praise the Lord who forgives. In many Bibles, and, and you may have sung or memorized this passage with, bless the Lord, O my soul. Because bless and praise are very, very similar. Both are speaking of gratitude and appreciation for what God has done. Um, I personally prefer the word bless because it implies that by my praising, by my uh, encouraging words, I enrich God, which is just a crazy idea that you and I might be able to enrich God by our words. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because he loves us so much. When, when, you, when you truly love someone, when, when you love them with a self-sacrificial love, doesn't it mean a whole lot to hear them bless you for that? I mean, isn't it an incredibly rewarding experience to have someone speak of you well? Especially when they speak of you to someone else. It's just so encouraging to have people that you love brag about you, especially when they don't know you're hearing. And, and in the same sense, when we bless God, when we praise God, we, we enrich, if you will, his soul, not because he needs it, but because he chooses it as a basis of his, as a result of his love. One commentary technical commentary I read, uh, retranslate it, and I've never seen this translation, and I like it more than any I've ever seen. He said, bless the Lord, I tell myself. Bless the Lord, I tell myself. I think it's so powerful that, in effect, he's saying, I have to continually remind myself to praise and bless God for all that he's done. Why is, why is it something we have to remind ourselves to do? Well, because... We're not naturally grateful, are we? It, it, isn't it true that part of the human heart is that we, we constantly are aware of what we don't have or what's not quite right? Isn't, isn't it true that when left to our own devices, we so quickly gravitate toward things that we would change? And because of that, might that not steal from us 
the, the repetitive expressions of gratitude and praise that God deserves. So that reminding ourselves to bless Him is to praise Him is, is a part of the spiritual disciplines that, that reminds us of how much we love Him. Because the human heart is so easily distracted from gratitude and praise and that which is good. So I like it that the psalmist says, bless the Lord, I tell myself. All my inner self, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, I tell myself. And don't forget all his benefits. That's why uh, it is so important that each of us, of us has a regular pattern of gratitude, a regular pattern of thanksgiving. Because when we continually come back to being grateful to those who love us, most especially the God who has given us life and salvation through Christ, when, when we get into that habitual pattern, it resets our hearts and minds to think honestly and, and truthfully about what we have in life. In my experience as a pastor, I have determined that people have joy not based on their circumstances. People have joy based on the attitude to which they touch their circumstances. I've called on people that were in terribly difficult, painful situations, and yet there was an incredible joy. I spent two and a half, three hours with John Sherrick and his son Dick on Friday. First of all, Dick, uh, John wanted me to tell you, the video, the calls, the letters, the emails, all the expression and love of appreciation ha have just blown his mind. Well, sure, he taught five-year-olds for 49 years at Grace Bible Church. He deserves some appreciation, right? That, that seems like it's an obvious. But, but here he knows that the odds are he won't live through the summer. And all he could say was, please tell the people how much I appreciate what they've done. That, that, that attitude of gratitude, that, that thanksgiving, that praise to God and praise of his people gives him a peace and a joy in spite of what's going on. He talked about his love for his sons, his love for his wife, his love for his church, all the things that he has when it would be so understandable if he instead just told you how bad it was to have cancer. Bless the Lord, I tell myself, and forget not all he's done, and look at what he's done. Verse 3, who forgives all our sins foundational to a relationship is forgiveness. Because of God's perfection and our imperfection, it has to be the beginning point of our relationship to Him. We, if we desire a relationship to God, we have to embrace the forgiveness that He has secured through Jesus' death on the cross by trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection. But in all relationships, relationships will not survive without a pattern of forgiveness. Even, even if the lack of forgiveness is unstated, it, it is, it is a, something that will tear apart the fabric of a relationship when there is not forgiveness. And because God is perfect, our relationship is ultimately based on His forgiveness of us. Not just when we come to faith, but His ongoing 
loving kindness expressed in his forgiveness for our continual frailty so that he also heals our diseases. Why? You might think, well, he doesn't heal them all. Some people still die. No, the curse is still evident. But I think here diseases are uh, used in a way to represent all of the consequences that come as a result of our sin. He, he is healing us, forgiving us, and continually dealing with the consequences of our sin. He therefore redeems our lives from the pit, or Sheol, our death. And he crowns us with love and compassion. In spite of all of our failing, in spite of all of our brokenness, what, what Scripture says God does is he places a crown of us, on us. And that crown is made up of his love and compassion. And he satisfies our desires with good things so that our, even our youth can be renewed like eagles. Uh, sin tears us down, and God's forgiveness builds us back up in strength. And some of the times when we get depressed and beaten down, it's because we have not allowed ourselves to experience God's forgiveness. We've, we have allowed Satan and our flesh to remind us continually of all the ways we fall short and have not embraced the reality of what it means that God has forgiven us, of what it means that we have become his children, of what it means that, that we are wholly made complete in him. So the forgiveness that's provided through the death of Christ gives us a value and a reality that, that gives us strength in the course of life. This is a time when people are weary. We're, we're separated from the people we love. We're under pressure in all kinds of ways, and there is a weariness in all of us. And, and part of restoring ourselves after that weariness is to be reminded of God's complete forgiveness, his, his constant love and his restoration of us in him. Forgiveness is the fuel of relationships. When there is no forgiveness, relationships die. And in Christ, we have an experience of God's ongoing forgiveness. And we can realize the joy of that forgiveness by confessing our sins. So the introduction of the psalm, the first stanza, verses 1 through 5, says, Praise God who forgives. Praise God who forgives. If, and if, if you are living under the weight of something in your life, can I, can I encourage you to experience God's forgiveness by believing it, trusting it, allowing it to replace the guilt and the weight with the freedom and joy of what it is to be loved and forgiven. The next section is the bulk of the psalm, verses 6 through 21. And this calls on us to praise the God who loves. Praise the God who loves. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. 
fundamental to the character of God is not just that he loves those who are successful and powerful. He, he, his expression of love for those of us who are beat down, oppressed, in need of justice, in need of righteousness, is the love of God. Friday was Juneteenth, a day that African Americans originally in Texas, now more and more all over the country, celebrate hearing of the Emancipation Proclamation and the freedom that comes with that. I remember as a child standing with my dad in the square in downtown Tyler, and it was just crawling with people. I mean, they were just having a ball. And I said to my dad, what's going on? He said, son, it's Juneteenth. I said, but it's not a holiday. He said, it is for them. They take this day to celebrate their freedom that they finally heard about in 1845. It's a a great day in the history of our country because it represents the beginning steps that we've experienced in trying to get overcome this this sin of slavery and all that goes with it. And, And notice that when we align ourselves with righteousness and justice for the oppressed, we align ourselves with God. We've got a long way to go with that. There, there's a ton of hurt with this. Um, and, and as a country, it's only recently, in the 60s, when we legally changed some things. And, and we've got a long way to go with that. But, but notice that it is God who cares about righteousness and justice, especially for the oppressed. And one of the things as believers is that we're called upon is to constantly care for those that are beat up, for those that are oppressed. I found in my own life I'm best at describing oppression when I'm the victim of it. I notice it best when I feel like I'm treated unfairly. But the heart of the Christian is to care deeply about others because that's the heart of God. Verses 7 through 8, he reminds the reader, who was originally Jewish, that, that this fact of God's love is rooted in the Mosaic Covenant. Notice what he said. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Now, I, I've, I know some people that say, well, the... the Old Testament God is not a God of forgiveness and compassion. That's just the New Testament God. But the, the, if, you, if you read the whole Old Testament and understand it, you find that actually that's not the case at all, that, that God always cares about loving and compassion and, and being gracious and slow to anger. In fact, the story of the Old Testament is an ongoing cycle of God's loyal love to his people Israel. Uh, many theologians have given up on Israel, if you will. They, they literally believe that God has no plan for the nation of Israel because of their re- continued rejection of God. But I, I would say they don't, they don't understand the amplitude, the magnificence of God's grace and forgiveness. That's the very point of the Old Testament is that Israel continued to disappoint God. Israel continued to fall short. They would have times of turning to God and embracing his forgiveness, and then as he would bless them, they would fall further and further away. And the the story of the Old Testament is an illustration of what God does for us. I thank God that, that 
he's been so gracious to Israel. And that I believe he yet has a plan to restore them to himself in the last days. Because in doing that, he, he demonstrates that he does that for me. Because I don't live up to the gospel. It would be ludicrous for anybody that knows me would know that, that not only I, as a, I've always said that my job description at Grace is to disappoint someone every day. And as a pastor, it kind of feels that way. But, but ultimately, the one I disappoint most is God because I never live up to the standards that I even hold others to. And, and one of the things that keeps me going is the realization that he keeps loving, that he is so gracious. When I look in the mirror and see failure, when I look in the mirror and see disappointment, when, when, I, when I consider my life and see how much it falls short of what I hope for, I, I can find peace in the grace of God. So the psalmist says he made known his ways all the way back to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. In fact, if, if you go back to Exodus chapter 34, Verses 6 through 8, let me read to you what God says to Moses. This is immediately after Israel had built the golden calf at the base of Mount Sinai, had totally disappointed God and Moses. When they, God is, is speaking to their leader face to face, he's given them the covenant of the law, and even in the midst of that, his high priest Aaron leads them in building a golden calf. Immediately after that, Exodus 34, 6, and God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. But he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation because he's just. And this all occurred after the incidents of the golden calf. There, there are human and real consequences in our lives for our disobedience. But for we who are as a children, we have the assurance of his amazing forgiveness, his slowness to get angry, his abiding love. Can I say to you, it, if you've become calloused, to how much God forgives, that means that you've lessened the reality of how your bad your sin is. And when, when we lessen our sins, we lose out on the opportunity to see ourselves honestly, but to experience all that God has in mind for us. Because it's, it's in being honest about our failings that we experience just how magnificent God's grace is. Uh, our tendency, the flesh is very quick at finding the, the weaknesses, the failures, the disobedience in other people. Because after all, that makes us feel better. Our, our, our tendency is to always point at other people's failures because it just alleviates the heartache of seeing ourselves. 
But as Christians, we can be honest about our failing because then we can experience the completeness of His love. We can be truthful about our sins. In fact, the book of James says, confess your sins to each other. Maybe that's what we do the first Sunday back. We just all come and confess our sins to each other. That would guarantee a small crowd. But that was a little bit of a joke. But, but in being honest about our sinfulness, we are reminded of how much we're forgiven. We, we don't have to carry the burden of pride around with us because pride is a burden that is overwhelming because we can never live up to it. But instead, in our humility and gratitude for God's forgiveness, we can experience the freedom of being loved. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Statements that ultimately in one sense don't even make sense. How far is east from west? It's not measurable. That's the point. His, his love, his caring, his forgiveness is beyond anything we can understand. Verse 13 is the reason I picked this psalm today. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. Its place remembers it no more. A father loves us or should love us in spite of what we lack. A father should be an illustration of the love of God because a father has compassion in spite of our frailty. Now, first of all, some of you either didn't have fathers around or, or your father, well, all of us fall short, but some fathers in particular fail. And I would encourage you to, to look at what you yearn for in your earthly father and see that those are the things that the heavenly father gives. You Use the bad illustration and your heart's yearning as a reminder of what God intended for you to have. Uh, all children have to forgive their fathers. You know, my daughters were children of a pastor. I always said, you know, you've got me as your dad, your, your PKs. If you need counseling, I'll help pay for it. I mean, the reality is all of us fathers are painfully aware of just how much we are inadequate in expressing the love of the Heavenly Father. But yet, when it's a good relationship, it is... A good illustration. My daddy, um, his mother married three times. He was the product of her second marriage. The second husband, my dad's father, left when my father was four. The third husband was abusive to my father. He never admitted it to me, but he admitted it to Julie. My dad never experienced what a good father would be. And he didn't even marry till he was 42 because without any of that supervision, it, it took a while to get you know, my mom ready to take him on. And, and I'm convinced that my mom used to say, I, I, in many ways, I'm the first person that she would say that my dad really experienced love from. Possibly a half-brother that he idealized. 
So, so my dad didn't know how to be a good father. And I don't remember him saying he loved me. That wasn't cool back then. He'd shake my hand. We didn't hug a lot. But, but his life was a demonstration of incredible tenderness and love. The sacrifices he made, the difficulties he went through taught me about God's love. And I will admit to you, there were times because of the harshness in which he'd grown up that he could be a little harsh. And my mom, and this is something you moms might consider, would at times follow me into my room and help me understand my dad and, and remind me of how much he loved. Helped a little boy who was confused by harshness that I experienced see God. She did it in a way that always made dad sound like a hero. And I'm convinced that one of the things that can happen in families is parents can get into competing for their children's love. And rather than building up the other partner to their children, they subtly tear them down. I, I thank God for my mom's constant encouragement to me to see my dad in all of his love. So that when I think of the loving father, I, I have a picture not only of his actions, but of my mom's narrative of help me see how God how my dad loved me. Because we all need that. We, we need the security that comes from a father's love. Uh, the father, uh, the only paper I made an A-plus, I think, at UT and was in a child psych class. I took a psychology class because I was in a management degree in the business school and I had to take psychology and we were looking at buying a child care center. So I thought, what could it hurt? And I was one of four guys in a classroom of 300. It was a little intimidating. And, and I wrote a paper on father-infant interaction the first year of the child's life. I, I picked that subject because I didn't think there would be much on it and it would make the paper easier. And, and I blew the paper out. The, in fact, the TA called me in and said, I want to talk to you about your paper. And I thought, cool. And I went in and, and we talked about my paper and he said, he said, ironically, you could have written it over the first six months of a child's life. A father's role in an infant has been determined to be massive in the development of a child. It, it, we need to know our daddies love us. And to all you dads, learn from God's love. How does God love you? That's what your kids need from you. And to all of us who have lost our fathers, uh, as you remember the good things, use those as instruction of the nature of the love of God. Because God knows our weakness just like our dads do. Uh, my dad started supporting himself when he was 13. So when I chose to play football all the way through school, he thought that was sort of irresponsible. He thought, what is this kid? I mean, I was providing for myself at 13. Mom, not that I actually made a contribution to football, but she defended me and I was allowed to. And, and he, you could see that he thought, I don't, that just doesn't seem like, that seems frivolous, son. But he he loved me in spite of that frivolous nature. Because just like our Heavenly Father, our earthly fathers know how we were formed. They're partially our DNA. 
and our lives are mortal like grass and we flourish like the flower of the field and the wind blows and it goes away. But in comparison to that, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Notice in Exodus 34, it talked about the consequences of sin going for multiple generations. But notice here that he emphasizes his, his righteousness and justice in our lives goes generations as well as we keep his covenant and obey his precepts. He, he blesses families for generations because of his abiding love. So verses 1 through 5 say, bless God, praise God, because he forgives Verses 6 through 21 uses the illustration of fathers and says, praise God who loves. And finally, in the last four verses, praise the God who reigns. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, I tell myself. We, we praise him not only for his love for us, but we praise him because of his power, his dignity, his reign. He is, he is Scripture says, the king over all things. And, and to not praise him. It would be uh, almost dishonest because he is the God of the universe. He is the God who holds all of creation together. He is the God who demonstrates his love in, in all that he does. He is the God who has shown his love by giving his son on the cross. And, and as he reigns in complete power, we can praise him in light of his incredible strength and virtue because all of the heavenly hosts join us in praising all of creation joins the book of philippians says at the name of jesus every knee will bow whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth in other words all living creatures will one day praise god because he is the ruler of all things and how can we not join him in praising him especially in light of the fact of his forgiveness and love especially in light of the way he's demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. His, his staggering forgiveness and love in light of his power gives us the strength to be renewed, as he says earlier, like eagles. Because no matter else, what else is going on around us, no matter what else we see we have the love and forgiveness of the God of the universe. This is a hard time. I mean, let's be realistic. We're blessed. I'm not trying to be dramatic, but, but it's stressful. Things aren't normal, and, and there, there's a lot of anxiety, and, and we do well to come back to the character and grace of God in our lives. Because while we don't know how this all will play out, we know who reigns. And we know that he loves. And we know that he forgives. Please join me in prayer.
Father, we thank you. We thank you for your incredible grace. A grace that's demonstrated by your forgiveness of our failings and a grace that's shown by your constant and loyal love. Thank you, Father, that even when we continue to disappoint, you continue to be faithful. And that we can rely on that faithfulness and be secure in it. And Father, for those of us who are fathers, help us to learn to love the way you love us. And thank you for, that you forgive us for the ways we fail. But make us a people that builds into the next generation by teaching the truth of God's word and demonstrating it in the way we live. And it's in Christ's name that we pray today. Amen.